Hey everybody, thanks for checking out the Glendale Road Church of Christ podcast. You're welcome to join us anytime you're around. We are at 1101 Glendale Road in Murray, Kentucky. We meet for worship every Sunday morning at 9 a.m., followed by our Bible study at 10 a.m., and we come back every Sunday evening for a bonus worship hour at 6 p.m. Also, every midweek on Wednesday at 7 p.m., we have a Bible study. You'd be welcome to join us. We'll be sure to save a seat for you. Now, here's this week's sermon. This morning's scripture reading comes from 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1-4. through 4. I'm reading from the New King James Version. Therefore, I exhort first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. You may be seated. Today, you may remember, is the 21st year since the nation was attacked. Uh, most of us remember because we were there and we saw the coverage as it played out on the television. So that's something definitely to remember as to where we were as a nation, at least in those days and weeks following that event, we were one nation. And now we see division and strife and contention. So hopefully we as Christians can be an encouragement towards that unity that is much needed. But also, I, th- I think we owe the Lord a-, a word of thanks because yesterday an occurrence happened over at Sorority Row and thankfully nobody was hurt. So let's go to our Father in prayer and thanksgiving. Our Father, we come to you in prayer thanking you for the day. We thank you, Father, for this assembly and for your church. Father, as one sought to do evil to innocent people yesterday, we thank you those plans weren't carried out. We thank you that everyone that was present wasn't hurt. And we give you our thanksgiving, Father, and pray that the one who sought to do evil would be given the help that they need. We pray thanking you that none were harmed. We also thank you for who we are as a people. We pray for our governing leaders on the federal and state levels, even here locally. We pray, Father, that they would have wisdom from above to lead, to govern, and we pray that they would do so with honor and in integrity. Thank you, Father, for continuing to bless us and continuing to be with us. As we study your word, we pray that you will open our hearts. We pray that you'll forgive us of our sins. And we pray, Father, that we would yield to your will, not ours, but to yours. For this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. God is good. All the time. On the day that her father died... The grandmother to whom she used to curtsy now curtsied to her. The mother who walked ahead of her now had to walk a step behind her. The sister and the husband that walked alongside her also had to walk a step behind her. It was showing deference because she was now the queen. Elizabeth reigned for 70 years, passed away this week. And uh, you look at this idea of deference and it's something that most of us are brought up with. Uh, You know, for example, many of us were brought up to show deference to folks in positions of authority, you know, teachers. Uh, You couldn't pay me to be a teacher today. You know, first kid 
shot off that mouth, he'd get a backhand and I'd get fired and thrown in jail all at the same time. But it's really the kids and the mamas and the daddies that need that backhand. For whatever reason, it used to be that when a child disobeyed, the child was in fear of what the school would do and what mom and dad would do when they get home. Now, the teacher's in fear because they get emails, calls, and visits from parents really raking them over the coals. A lot of people think they're raising a bunch of angels, but they behave very badly. But we're always taught to show deference to teachers, policemen too. Showing deference is something that we all need to learn if we don't already know it. For example, when you're in mixed company, it was always appropriate to show deference to elders, those who are older than you. It was also, as a man, important to show deference to the elderly and to the women when if you were seated and there was no other seat that you gave yours up for them. Showing deference, that's something that most of us have ingrained in us. And I think in the second chapter of 1 Timothy, that is exactly what Paul is urging Timothy to do as he, as he gives order to the house of God, which is the church of the living God. So open your Bibles, if they're not already, to this particular chapter, 1 Timothy 2, and we'll take a look at it. Now, I'll tell you how important it was uh, for me to show deference in all things. There, when I was in the fifth grade, there was another boy and I, we didn't get along very well. And we had a few tussles here and there. And, uh, you know, of course, I went home and I always told mom and dad what happened because the, 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 the rule was, let me hear it from you. Don't let me hear it from somebody else. Okay. Well, I tried to avoid conflict because daddy told me, he said, just stay away from him. Don't pay him any attention. Things will be fine. Well, he and I still didn't get along. And, and it got to the point to where they had to call us and our parents in to meet with the principal and with the teacher. And I'd been telling my parents the whole time, you know, what's happening because I was scared that they'd find out somewhere else. But anyway, so we go in and me and mom and daddy are seated on one end and on the other end of the table is this boy and his parents. And then you have the principal and the teacher. And so anyway, both of us are asked to give our account of the, of, of whatever has happened. And then his parents have something to say, teacher principal have something to say. And my daddy, he says, I'd like for these boys to step outside this room. And so we did. The other guy and I, we stepped outside and we sat down. We didn't know what was going on. And we actually got to talking. It's like, any kind of stupid that we fight with each other? I'm like, yeah, it really kind of is. I mean, especially when our parents have to get called in. And so, okay, we were asked back in, everything was fine. And, and you know, it went fine from there. I was in my mid-twenties when daddy told me that the reason he asked me and that other boy out of the room was because he raked the principal, the teacher, and the other boy's parents over the coals. He said, but I didn't want you to see it because I didn't want you to think it was all right to be disrespectful to somebody in authority. And I thought, well, all right. So, you know, my dad always told me, he said, if you're doing the right thing and you're trying your hardest, I'm going to take up for you. He said, but if you're not, he said, you will not only get in trouble at school, but you're going to get in trouble at home as well. And you'd much rather get in trouble at school than at home. That's just how it was. So I, the one time that I had the audacity to smart off to a teacher, oh boy, I got to tell you this because it, it, I still am dealing with the trauma from it. But anyway, uh, I had 
smarted off to a teacher and I was back at fifth grade. It was a terrible year. I was back in class. Someone, uh, someone comes from the office and they say, I need Stephen to come up to the office. And, you know, I'd forgotten about it. And I go bebopping up to the office and they hand me the phone and I pick up the, it was granddaddy, the little captain I told you about last week, right? The police officer. He had me crying just by words that he was saying over the phone and just really let me have it because I smarted off to a teacher. It didn't matter if I was right or wrong. I smarted off to a teacher, I was wrong. Well then, you know, when you're that young, you forget, you forget, you know, something that happened several hours ago. So I was home, I was outside playing and mama called me into the house. And you know, the way that it was when you opened our front door, it was, it was enough that it blocked a hallway that went down. And so the door was ajar, so I thought, you know, go into the living room. So I go into the living room, and I hear the door shut. All of a sudden, my rear end is on fire because mom is wearing me out. I'm like, granddaddy already got on to me. I got in trouble at school. It didn't matter. You got in trouble because you didn't show deference. You didn't respect those who were in this position of authority. So if you ever go, what's wrong with him? Now you know, okay? 2 Timothy 2, uh, 1 Timothy 2, verse 1. Therefore, I exert, exhort, first of all, my clicker is totally gone. I'm going to need y'all up there to advance slides for me. Do you have it up there? You bringing it? That's all right. Let's read the first seven verses. Therefore, I exert, first of all, well, goodness. Therefore, I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm speaking the truth in Christ and not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. So you may remember from chapter 3, uh, verses, thank you, sir, from chapter 3, verses uh, 15 and 16, that Paul hoped to come to Timothy rather quickly, uh, but he, 14 and 15, my apologies. He said, these things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly, but if I'm delayed, I write so that you know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God. And so the first chapter he was telling him about, okay, here are the issues you're going to face as a minister of this church. This is what you're going to have to contend with. These are some of the problems that you're going to have to overcome. But remember chapter 1, verse 5, the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, a good conscience, and from sincere faith from which some have strayed and have turned aside to idle talk. So, okay, here's your setting. And sometimes the problems of the church bleed over into the assembly of the church itself. And so you have the exhortation to begin, first of all, with prayers. How is it that we pray? And Paul gives instructions as to how to pray, specifically for all those who are in authority. Now, here's the thing about this. They did not get to democratically elect their governing leaders like what we do. They had a monarch that was over them, that ruled over them, who appointed a governor 
over their province or someone there locally even. They had no say in the matter whatsoever. Paul says, I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all who are in authority. We today are blessed to be able to participate in a process where we get to make that decision. Sadly, however, we are so hyper-political at times that we don't even make prayers like this. All we have are justified or unjustified criticisms, complaints, grievances, and we do get to advocate for these rights of ours and the various things that we like and don't like. That is, that is our right as American citizens. But God urges us through Paul, show deference. Remember these in prayer. Why? So that we may all lead a quiet and peaceable life in godliness and reverence. Somebody's going to say, yeah, but my rights... Nobody's arguing that. But when you have everything placed together your rights, your privileges, what the law says, and then you put alongside it what God says, which is most important. Are you willing to surrender something for what God wishes, which is that we show deference? Now, I was reading, and when the temple stood in Jerusalem, they used to make a sacrifice every day for the health and the well-being of the emperor. And I didn't, I didn't realize that. It, it, it's pretty interesting that they did that, especially since Many of them didn't appreciate the emperor being over them. I want you to look at a couple other passages with me, though. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13. 1 Peter 2, 13. I'm going to read through verse 17. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors, as to those who were sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by so doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as a bondservant of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. I don't like that passage. And I'm willing to bet there are several who probably don't like it either, but it doesn't matter if I like it or not. This is the will of God. That's what matters. That's what matters. Show deference. Of course, another passage with which we're all familiar, first, uh, excuse me, Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13, verses 1 and following. Let every soul be subject to governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? 
do what is good, and you'll have praise from the same, for he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he doesn't bear the sword in vain, for he's God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Render, therefore, to all their due, taxes to whom taxes due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, and honor to whom honor. Nobody said living the will of God is the easiest thing or at times the most pleasurable. And to try to be balanced, what about when authorities and rulers ask something of you that you know is not in line with the will of God? Well, you know from Acts, Peter, he chose rather to obey the will of the Lord than to compromise what God had already said. So that's a given. Whenever we're told to obey or to be subject, uh, yeah, by all means do that. Until it gets to the point to where we're told we got to do something that clearly God says is wrong. So when you begin, when you have prayers, Paul says, here's how you rightly order those prayers. Christians ought to be the best citizens of every country. But that isn't always the case. We ought to be the best citizens because it doesn't matter so much who our prime minister is, who our chancellor is, who our president is, Congress, Senate, and all the other things, but because it matters who our king is, and that's Jesus Christ. Seated at the right hand of majesty in the heavens, ruling and reigning. That is what should drive our lives at every front. Now he goes on from there, beginning verse 8. <clears throat> I desire, therefore, that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. In like manner also, that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing, but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. Let a, worm, let a woman learn in silence with all submission. And I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam wasn't deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Nevertheless, she'll be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. Now, verse 8, that first passage uh, having to do with men praying, the one thing, well, I went the wrong way. The one thing is that we see uh, in the scriptures is that God's people often prayed lifting holy hands or they lifted their hands as they prayed. It's not how you would think people do it today, right? People throw their hands up like they're like a, a, an NFL referee. Good, right? No, that's not what they did then. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the comedian Tim Hawkins, but he does this bit about hand raising in various churches, right? You got to look it up because it's quite hilarious. Now we're not hand raising kind of folks, but he does this thing. He's like, you know, carry the TV is what he calls this. He goes, carry the big screen, he calls it, you know, different one, village people and all this stuff. You got to look it up. It's pretty funny. But when they held up their hands, it, it, this was it. You ever gone through a, 
a funeral, a funeral, a, a cemetery, and you see those statues of angels or Mary or whomever, they're, they're standing. This, this was the posture of prayer of people over in that part of the land at that time. And we see from various passages where they would, as a part of prayer, lift their hands. Hear the voice of my supplications when I cry to you, when I lift up my hands toward your holy sanctuary. It's written in the Psalms. And another one, then I will bless you while I live. I'll lift up my hands in your name. And then in Lamentations chapter 219, arise, cry out in the night at the beginning of the, uh, of the watches. Pour out your heart like water before the face of the Lord and lift your hands toward him for the life of your young children who faint from hunger at the head of every street. So that's what they did. So Paul says, when you pray, I want the men to pray. And yes, it is the sex, not men as in humanity. He wants the men to pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting or disputing. So, okay, in prayer, show deference by praying in this way. Now, when it comes to prayer, everyone is to show deference to the men praying everywhere. And uh, then he goes on from there. Now, Paul gets on to this bit about modest apparel and hair braiding and jewelry. Well, women might, am I not supposed to braid my hair when I come to church? Well, you have to take into context the time that he wrote in. This is what Roman women would do with their hair. Very elaborate, very gaudy. I mean, you would think she's hiding a bucket of chicken up in that hair, that left picture. But they would also, as you look at the one on the right, she has a gold band around and sometimes they would put jewels in their hair. That's what he was addressing. Not the ponytail or the, the French braid or whatever you would have, uh, but he's asking that they adorn themselves in modest apparel with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing. You know, it, uh, often when preachers preach this, they have to say, women, you need to cover up because you're showing too much skin. Paul is addressing them overdressing. Be modest about it. Don't be gaudy. Don't show off. Don't, don't try and draw attention to yourself. And the way they would do this is this very way. They would, wear a, uh, they would wear the finest of clothing. They would uh, braid their hair elaborately and put jewels in their hair. And part of the reason was because when Greek women went to a festival or a public gathering, it was a real good time to look for a husband. Some still do that. Some people come to church looking for a husband or wife. Hopefully you can find the best. Uh, but I think Paul's emphasis here is, you know, that's not the reason you're coming. It shouldn't be the reason you're coming. You should be coming because Jesus is king and God is creator of heaven and earth. Don't show off. Don't be flashy, said the preacher wearing a very flashy coat. I just realized the irony in that. Um, Do this, which is proper for women professing godliness and good works. Then he goes on, let a woman learn in silence with all submission. And I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. People don't like that verse. And here's my particular specific interpretation. 
Number one, if it was good enough for the Ephesian church then, it's good enough for the church today. Secondly, the fact that it's tied to the creation order means that it is an endearing truth that you just can't discard if you like or don't like it. Third, I don't think that it has any reflection on women at all. I think there are some women that would make better preachers than men. But again, we are to show deference. It doesn't mean that one is more important than the other. Think about this. Children are commanded in Scripture to show deference to their parents. Citizens, deference to their nation or their ruling leaders. In Hebrews chapter 13, the church is to show deference to their leaders, those who are over us. In this case, it would be our elders. Show deference at every turn. I think the greatest preacher that ever lived was my Graham. And she didn't need a pulpit to preach. She didn't need a title or her name put on a sign outside of a church building. She was the greatest preacher by how she lived and the example that she set. And there are things that I still look back and I remember, well, now on this occasion she did this, and that occasion she did that. It's like that old poem goes, I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. But in our postmodern context where everybody wants to take and do away with what they like and don't like, uh, I, I've heard people say, well, you have to consider the context. Done that. They were in Ephesus. You had the, if you had the temple of Artemis there, and those cult statues were adorned by young girls who bore the title of adorner. I get that they would have had a, a different level of treatment in the, in the pagan rites, but, but we're not talking about that. We're talking about something else. And what's more is that this isn't the only time that Paul addresses this matter. He does so to the Corinthians. He commands that the female should be silent in the church, and he bases that on the creation order there again. But you know what? In that same context, he also tells some of the speakers in tongues to be silent. He tells some of the prophets to be silent. He's not just picking on women, but he's given order to the church. Now, Jesus used the creation order in Matthew chapter 19 to tell us what marriage should be like. So if you can throw out this passage, then you can define marriage however which way you want to. But in the creation order, God created male and female, and that, Jesus says, is the reason that a man should leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And in this case, because the man came first and the woman was first deceived, Paul says, that's why the men should have this particular position. Like it or not, it's what Scripture says. You're more than welcome to take it up with the Lord if it's a problem for you. But it doesn't mean that one is more important than the other. We all have our roles, whatever that may be. And when it comes time to our roles, we show deference to those who are in different roles. I'm convinced that uh, sisters like Becky Blackman, Patsy... Huh? Did you forget her name? She's Patsy. I'm trying to, I was trying to think, who else? Karen 
uh, I'll say the last name for satisfaction, Karen Bowles. There, there are many, many gifted women teachers, not that I've had the pleasure to hear them, but I just know how much people love attending their classes and how well spoken of they are. But they are also willing to put themselves in deference to what God's will is. As I hope that we all are. I hope that we all are willing to show deference where God has commanded it. Most of us, you probably like me, I like to do what I like to do. I don't like anybody telling me what to do. I don't like anybody trying to hold me back, hold me down. You tell me I can't do something, watch. I'm going to do it just because you said I can't do it. I'm working on that. I'm working on that. But showing deference. When we become Christians, we show deference. We show deference to what God says. God says before we're Christians that we're in a state of sin and that we're prone to his wrath. But if we want to take God's word at that, showing deference to God also entails God saying, I've sent my son to die for your sins. He died and was buried and rose on the third day. And if you have faith in him as my one and only son, then if you confess your belief in him and are buried with him in baptism, uh, your sins are washed away and you become a member of the family, of the household of God. We show deference in many walks of life, hopefully we can show deference, at least as it comes to the will of God. We have all seen when a judge or a chairperson or a speaker of the house, somebody calls for order. They'll bang the gavel and they'll try to get everyone to settle down or to formally begin what the meeting is. And I think what Paul is doing in this letter is he's calling for order. There needs to be an order to God's church, to God's household, and here's how you go about doing it. The warning is against trying to place ourselves somewhere that God hasn't. That's disorder. And unlike society, we can advocate for things in society, but when it comes to the church of God, it's His word that is final. So I encourage you this evening, this morning, I don't know if I'm coming or going, I encourage you this morning, if you've not yet shown deference to the Lord and His will, to be born again, that you do so. Some of us, we do that and we, we get overtaken by the world and we're not as faithful. We can always come to the Lord asking for His forgiveness. And the good thing is He's eager and gracious to want to forgive. So if you have that need this morning, come to the front and we'll minister to you as we stand and sing.